something that is really um, infuriating, and yet also uh, by transformation or transfiguration, a tremendous summons to compassion is the um, way that uh, important events are uh, profoundly and cruelly misinterpreted by the world. And something very important uh, actually happened, at least it's important in my world, and I believe it really is in this case uh, in a a far uh, larger uh, and wider sense important. Something very important uh, happened on uh, April the 27th of last year, 2011, and I'm Uh, giving this podcast in the year 2012. What happened on April the 27th, uh, 2011, as it's been reported, is a uh, nice young uh, neighbor of the um, once uh, and still, in my book, well-known Hollywood star Yvette Vickers, not having seen or heard from the reclusive Ms. Vickers in... um, for a long time, finally did the gutsy and right uh, and in the world of Benedict Canyon, Los Angeles, apparently counterintuitive thing, and even the neighbors are now feeling awfully bad about it, she forced the door of this uh, uh, dilapidated house, which was absolutely covered in uh, trash and uh, uh, um, fallen uh, garden furniture and uh, uh, just... um, lushly overrun with vegetation house. And she pushed open the door and uh, went in and through what is really makes any hoarder's episode uh, even um, sort of antiseptic, almost by comparison, but not quite. She found the body of Yvette Vickers, who had been dead a long time. Now, the newspapers and People magazine said it was a year, and I... <clears throat> judging the amount of mail that was there and judging from how um, these things go. I'd be surprised if it was that long, but it was definitely uh, her remains were uh, very far gone. And it's a terrible thing. And what struck me and what the reason for this podcast is, is in a number of the sites that have been given over to this uh, event, the people who write it, uh, uh, usually fans of Yvette Vickers, and I'm one of them. Stephen King is a great one, but I'm a small one. But I'm a great fan of Yvette Vickers and have been forever, at least feel I have. It feels like forever. <laughs> feels like the real thing, baby. I, I've uh, I've uh, noted that uh, people are sort of um, seeing this as sort of a bizarre, that's the word, the bizarre death of Yvette Vickers, or they'll <laughs> refer to her mummified remains and uh, – um, they, as if this is sort of a, a kind of a, an episode in one of her movies. That's the the usual spin that reporters uh, try to find when it comes uh, sort of a Sunset Boulevard uh, death on steroids, you might say, like this, is they always want to say, well, just like a scene in one of her movies, <clears throat> or just like the gothic uh, ambiance which surrounded her ever since Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, or something like that. And then you read a lot of uh, uh, um, rigmarole about um, this projection. It's not uh, the fact. Uh, The fact is uh, that uh, Yvette uh, uh, Vickers' death uh, represents an enormously vexing problem for the human ego because uh, there are millions like her. And there are millions of us, we the living, uh, there are millions of us who could end up like she ended up. And uh, there are millions of us who have something to see, something to learn, something to feel, a great tear for this poor woman. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, the denial of death, but more importantly, the denial of old age. And in a way, ultimately, this podcast, which will not be a long, huge thing, but it's most interesting to me, and the event itself is fascinating, uh, the... um, 
fact is that uh, this is someone like millions and millions of us who are cruising into, gently sagging into, entering unhelpfully and unyieldingly but inexorably into that dark night. We are in many ways struggling against the fact of our life. We are, we are, there's this tremendous uh, 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 realignment needing to take place, this tremendous uh, uh, unaligned uh, feeling about the way life is gone and the way it uh, was meant to go. And this often produces these uh, horrific old ages in people. And I, I know it. I can say this in a slightly different spin because I've been a, a priest, a minister for 35 years and have, uh, have, have visited the sick and the elderly uh, so consistently during many parts of that long ministry in the Episcopal Church that the facts of the uh, tragic uh, case of most people as they become old is something that is very real in this world and we tend to you know not want to talk about it and we tend to um, to push it over into places like the nursing home that's directly across the street from where I am uh, now speaking and we sort of shunt the uh, almost ubiquitous uh, experience of severe depression that elderly uh, people what we call seniors um, have as they grow older. And you might say that this podcast is really an attempt to uh, give a word of hope to all young and old who will ultimately or are or cannot escape the fact of the uh, decline of the body towards physical death and the uh, bemused, bizarre, and in some cases, extremely tragic failure to come to terms or false attempts. Now, let's talk a little bit about Vet Vickers to put this on solid ground. <clears throat> She was a uh, model and a uh, 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 she defined for my era and a little bit before, actually. I was sort of around nine uh, when she came into the national consciousness. So it was a little early for me and my friends, but we uh, she was right there in the wings. Um, and uh, she was a, a playmate uh, uh, bunny, a pictorial, uh, the, the playmate of the month, I think, in something like November 1957. Um, maybe maybe 58, you can look it up. And she was the most sexy, uh, beautiful, lithe, uh, naughty, mischievous, young potential starlet that ever came down the pike. I mean, there are millions like her, or thousands like her, or hundreds like her, but she was one in a million. She was absolutely gorgeous and naughty and saucy. You would have called her saucy. And um, she then uh, had a supporting role in the uh, uh, iconic, that's a word that everybody uses today, but in this case, it, I guess it's probably iconic, uh, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, which I am holding in my hand. I'm sitting here looking at it, and it's a, a wonderful movie in its terribleness, and we can talk all about that. But it has a scene in a bar, <clears throat> a dive, in which the um, um, uh, um, Playing around, terrible husband of the uh, of the star Hayes, Allison Hayes, uh, who's soon to grow into a fifty foot woman, is playing around with a hussy in the bar played by Yvette Vickers, and Yvette Vickers brings to this role extraordinary conviction. Uh, it has what uh, people often say. I don't know how to prove this. The first French kiss uh, ever in a sort of relatively mainstream um, Hollywood movie. Uh, and she really uh, absolutely overcomes the um, her male 
co-lead. She's supporting role in this kiss that she gives him in the in the booth in this bar. And of course, they all are killed. They both are killed by the fifty foot woman when the fifty foot woman's uh, supremely righteous uh, rage against this terrible guy, this cad, and this hussy. Uh, this uh, they're killed. But the the French kiss and there's a dance scene where Yvette Vickers dances with this guy. No one could care less about the cad, but she is so unbelievably alluring and sexy to any sort of teenage boy. And I I saw this movie, um, although it was on television a little bit later, and I said, oh my gosh, she is the dream girl. Well, later on, but almost at the same time, she was in a movie called Attack of the Giant Leeches, which is in its own way quite good, if you are able to use that word at all in reference to these things. And I would say superb. Um, The movie is superb because it has two extraordinarily gripping and horrifying scenes in a watery cavern with the giant leeches, which are just guys in leech costumes, are slobbering all over and sucking the juices and the blood dry from their victims, one of whom is Yvette Vickers. And she has one scene at the beginning because she's she's playing around. She's the married to this big, uh, difficult, portly guy, poor guy, and she's playing around with the young sort of lead, uh, quote, end of quote, and they're all killed. But uh, she puts on her stockings in their little back room from this bar that he runs, and it is so seedy and so sexy, and she's so egging him on, and she's so mean. She just defines the word a witch in that scene, and yet she is so sexy as she puts on her stockings that you just, you know, your tongue hangs out. Now, just so you know that this is just not me, ask yourself, I mean, anyone listening to this podcast know about Yvette Vickers? Well, you're forgiven, but Stephen King specifically focuses on her in his book, Danse Macabre, and uh, Dance Macabre, and in that book, he uh, says, you know, everybody else was talking about, you know, Marilyn Monroe and... um, Joan Russell or something, Jane Russell or something like that. But she, he says, I and my friends were focused on Yvette Vickers. Well, that's absolutely right. Now, later on, she was in HUD with Paul Newman, and there's a story about that. She has one little scene where she sort of flirts with him in a bar, and I think another scene was cut, and who knows what's true about that. But <clears throat> she's very pretty in that, and she's she's wearing sort of a very tight, sexy dress, but that's a higher cut by all means of, uh, of a movie, and she's extremely... Um, She's the same thing she was in the early movies, but they just don't give her as much screen time. Well, after this, apparently, Yvette Vickers went downhill and never did a few other little things, but never was uh, hit the highs of this. Now, I'm going to come back to that. How do you accept a life that hits highs in ways that you may later on think were lows, but actually were highs? How can you come to, how can you accept the life that was led, not the life that you might have led? Now, we know that Yvette Vickers never hit the highs. Now, I have continued interested in her over the years. You all not be surprised. And uh, there are YouTube videos and uh, photographs of her at science fiction conventions because there's a whole sort of industry out there of people who have supporting roles or did well in some what has become a famous movie or a hot movie or a cult movie, and they, they were nothing, you know. They, but now everybody sees this movie and thinks it's a work of art. And sometimes, in an odd con- neo-contextual way, it was. Uh, it hit some nerves that nothing else hit. Often, it was sort of in the in the demi monde of uh, of. Uh, 
of the life. Uh, and uh, yet now, because the demi-monde is the monde, it now speaks to people. It's in the same odd kind of a way that some of these neglected writers I speak about, because they were on the edges, now speak to the part of me that's in the front burner. But um, she became part of that industry of people that go to science fiction and fantasy film conventions. And there are many of these, Buffalo and Charlotte or Raleigh or something, and then there's a couple of great ones in California, and um, they're all over the place. And uh, she would go, and she'd sit there, and she'd charge you $10 for a still of hers that she'd sign to you. And she would often go with some friend or something. And she became extremely obese, um, kind of a, had a mouth on her, uh, pathetic. I think you can – I mean, let's let's say what it is. We, we're afraid to say these things often, but the fact of the matter, when you see the videos of Yvette Vickers, the gorgeous, vixen, saucy, sexy 22-year-old in 1959, and then you see her in 1995 at these conventions, and she's grotesquely overweight, poorly dressed, badly made up, looks smelly and unkempt, and is obviously a, a wreck. Now, she uh, apparently had an alcohol problem, which doesn't surprise me at all. And uh, uh, that was probably the main thing. Uh, She died of heart disease. That's been the L.A. County uh, coroner's office has said that um, she died, and uh, I'm sure that that's a key factor in the mix. But between the weight, the alcohol, the mouth, you might say the me, like what came out of the mouth, the pathetic, tragic uh, pace. Now, it's not the person, remember, and we're going to talk about reconciliation and hope as opposed to criticism and judgment of what is appears to be kind of a pathetic American character of whom the television show Hoarders is just laden with such persons. <clears throat> but by the way, it fits because many photographs have now been released of the state of her house when she after that was after she died. They've taken a whole bunch of photographs, and they are classic hoarders' photographs. But hoarders, um, you know, um, with no one there at all uh, except a dead body, and it's a very tragic, not bizarre, because it's very understandable the way people go. Now, what happens is she gets invited to these things and. They're painful to watch, painful primarily in the uh, pain of the picture of her at age 22, 23, 24, and how she is now. And surely she has to know this. We know this because the house reveals a person who is an extraordinary freefall from anything like what she once was. Because the, 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 as, as a bishop once said to, about a, a rectory that wasn't being kept up and upset the vestry unbelievably, not a vestry of mine, but a vestry, prospective vestry of a friend of mine. He said, you know, I wouldn't kennel my dog in that house. I mean, well, you wouldn't kennel your spider in the house that uh, poor Yvette Vickers left behind her. And uh, in Benedict Canyon, and one of the, um, the 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 fact of the difference—that's what I want to talk about. Here's this this extraordinarily attractive, appealing magnet of a young woman in 1956, 57, 58, 59, through the early 60s, and then there's this woman uh, who uh, is found uh, quote mummified, according to the L.A. Times. Now I want to add to it. Um, it, it is, it's a tremendous judgment on notions of community. We all talk about community, you know. Everybody Everybody wants to say how nice everybody is. Everybody's breezy. Everybody greets you. you know, well, certainly in California, there's this kind of breezy thing. I was there once with a friend of mine who had been there for many years, and uh, we, I was sort of given a very bum steer in a Tower Record store, and I, I said, what was that about? And he said, oh, he was just blowing you off. He was just using Southern California 
L.A. kind of double gobbledygooked to, to say, get away, go, go away, blow. And I said, it didn't sound like blowing me off. He said, well, that's what it was in effect. And uh, you have all these neighbors who, uh, this woman was there. Of course, you don't interrupt the recluse. We all live near people who are who are live alone and who, who are, are drinking all the time. And occasionally we get picked, we see them taking out the trash every so often, or we hear late night funny arguments going on or raised voices. But for the most part, we give those people a miss and they just stew in their own juice for six months or six years or 15 years. I have seen a case very close to this uh, near where we lived in Birmingham, Alabama for 10 years, and I never only once saw the woman in 10 years, and then it was explained to me. Now, the neighbors there were actually a little sweeter. They sort of did keep an eye on this woman who had inherited a lot of money, as it turned out, and was able to live this way forever, but they did keep an odd kind of eye, but you, this was the story of a withdrawn alcoholic personality, but you, you had great... In, in Benedict Canyon, no one looked at you know, this woman no one no one uh, no one she she was dead for months or at least many weeks and uh, what does that um really say about them well let's not even talk about that that's they have to deal with that and the world has to deal with that i remember what um what uh, what Kerouac said: the world does everything on purpose. Does, no, the world does everything wrong on purpose. Therefore, why give it further consideration? Well, that's the world. But let's talk about Yvette Vickers. She apparently did uh, allow to some friends and stated this towards the end, who did talk to her that she was she felt she was she was being she was very bitter that she was no longer asked back to these science fiction conventions for whatever reason her star had fallen. <clears throat> Uh, or at least she believed that her star had fallen so much that even these odd chances at these science fiction fantasy or a B film, B movie conventions that are very popular, a lot of people go to them, had dried up and she was no longer getting invitations. So she felt that her star had even fallen to the degree that in her, her, her terribly unhappy persona, she was no longer sought after because of what she had once been and done. And by the way, what she had once done and been was very good. I mean, people like me treasure Yvette Vickers. I mean, Yvette Vickers, her, her persona, whatever you may think of it, um, left a lasting impression. I know more about Yvette Vickers than I know about a lot of people who have done a lot of high, more, more high-profile things. I was reading an interview uh, with James Wexler, who was a kind of liberal Democrat democratic uh, uh, political and social thinker and a very uh, fine and uh, incisive thinker back in New York in the 50s. And he happened to come up against, oddly, in a debate against Jack Kerouac. Now, have you heard of James Wexler? I mean, he, he he had a rather infamous encounter with James Wexler, uh, with uh, Jack Kerouac, uh, in front of hundreds and hundreds of students at Hunter College in New York City. And who's heard it today of James Wexler? But we all know about Jack Kerouac, and we actually all know about Ashley Montague, <clears throat> or at least he has a much <clears throat> more uh, – he, he, people still know about him, but they don't know about James Wexler. You may, but most people don't. And so in the same way that, you know, um, yeah, there's old uh, Kerouac wasting away in 1967. 68, 69, down in St. Petersburg, believing that he's been completely lost, lost and left behind. And yet, look, <coughs> look at the long-term uh, 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 trail, com- Halley's Comet trail of uh, Jack Kerouac, Tijon. Now, she did something really important, but obviously it was both the most important time and thing in her life and had become a source of enormous reproach to her because she said, you know, I'm not even invited to these things. And then like many people who have a combination, it's an alcoholic aspect of it, but a mental health aspect to it. They both are connected at that point. She, um, she believed she was being stalked. She often felt people were out to get her. And yet she got mail to the very end of her life from fans who would have paid her money to do anything. I mean, 
uh, so tied up with their own youth uh, was Vivette Vickers that she occupied this precious and unique place in the hearts and minds and spirits and libidos and flagging uh, hopes of the desires of so many, many people, especially men of that era. But even later, she developed a following because all her movies are now released again. Now, I say all that because um, obviously when you go into old age and death, and I often want to say this, but I didn't say it enough. I did say it enough to get the reputation for being kind of a a downer sometimes in my sermons, and yet people kept coming back. Those who said they were downers still seemed to come back. I was was always impressed by that. But, um, you know, how can you speak to young people? And I thought to myself, well, if I can speak to young people and be funny, God willing, but if I can also sort of alert them to an issue that is their present lives, the vitality and importance of their present lives, the sort of sartor resartus importance of the of the present youthful uh, life that they lead, both its disappointments and its fruition, if I can underscore the significance of that and also, in a way, warn them, uh, prepare them to value what they have, and then they'll be so much more reconciled to what later it becomes or the form it takes later. Because Yvette Vickers, and I can say this, I believe, with, with I, I say this with sincerity, um, was clearly a person with millions and millions, if not billions of others, who had not made peace in any way with her life. She had not made peace with her former life, and therefore there's a there's a tragedy to that. Now, Aldous Huxley is a very powerful on this theme, especially in and um, uh, after many a summer dies the swan. I don't want to recommend the book because there are a lot a lot of parts of it that are sort of a look a dated satire of 1930s Hollywood, uh, and uh, much of it is dated in all sorts of ways that you'll see. But every third or fourth chapter is a kind of a spoken word essay by the character Mr. Propter Propter for on account of the uh, the explication because of in Latin propter, Mr. Propter explains it all, Sister Mary Ignatius, but he explains it from Aldous. He's Aldous Huxley explaining these terrible, tragic feelings that overcome both the beautiful, the old, the aging wealthy, the old, growing older blonde, the um, scholar who's losing his grip and who, who has a little bit of, who's really very, very petty sort of angry man, um, the young idealist who's been off to fight against Franco, who's now disillusioned and kind of hanging around, uh, doing ex- a little lab assistant in a, um, in, a, in a lab that's paid for by a very rich sort of Citizen Kane type who wants to prolong his life. And all these people are um, doing what Haldus Huxley calls their horizontal idolatry, um, uh, compensating horizontally. They, they compensate for the struggle of their life and their suffering of their life and their, the vanquishedness of their life and the defeatedness and the, the, the tragic denouement or results as they see it of their life as over against what they had hoped. And they compensate for it through drink, through sex, obviously through um, interests, through enthusiasms, through pornography in the case of the English guy, and uh, through... Um, 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 religion, it's stated in the case of the blonde, who becomes a, an overwhelmingly pious but completely split uh, Catholic. Uh, they're all looking for something, as uh, Aldous Huxley believes, horizontally, and they're not really going into the vertical dimension. And for him, the vertical dimension is both inward and upward. It's inward because we find the truth about life within ourselves, within the within the 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 love and the the ultimate um, presence of God within ourselves, which ties us into that which is over and beyond us. The desites and the yensites, the two are tied together. If you look within yourself, in the deepest level 
level, the deepest level of archaeology that Kerouac talked about vis-a-vis the subterraneans. And um, rather than all these horizontal things, and I believe it's in The Devils of Loudon, Chapter 3. I think it's in Chapter 3 of The Devils of Loudon from 1951, where, uh, uh, and also a little bit in the epilogue to Devils of Loudon, where Huxley most... Um, um, uh, piercingly talks about horizontal addiction and horizontal um, attachments as opposed to the inward within the deep vertical downwards and the great vertical upwards. Uh, and he also does, by the way, respect instinct. So he has a very real sense for the unerring um, verifiability of the sexual drive uh, and a few others. Um, but the... Um, uh, the the Yvette Vickers phenomenon, uh, just as so many phenomena that uh, haunt us as we grow older, is a form of uh, horizontal transcendence. It's a, 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 a whatever it is, whether it's hoarding and um, alcohol and uh, bitterness uh, and withdrawal. Uh, it's all a form of kind of a horizontal uh, a horizontal transcendence to get away from our profound disappointments. And I see this again and again and again. And uh, what I want to conclude with is. The word of uh, of acceptance and um, reconciliation, because uh, what it is actually about our life that we need to come to, and this is where <clears throat> Christianity makes a very historic connection, uh, and yet it's a connection that is at depth in uh, in several of the world religions. I don't see it in every one, to tell you the truth, but I know it's in in more than one, and this is the insight that. God or ultimate reality or the forum of human existence or the ultimate um, uh, nature uh, that surrounds us all, that is unerringly the sun and the moon and the stars. We saw last night this gorgeous uh, uh, full moon uh, first rising uh, over to where we were having a little fire out in our backyard and then what they call a fire pit. And then uh, as it rose right over the house, there was a great ring around the moon and um, perfect a perfect night for a flying saucer. I mean, a perfect perfect night. But sadly, um, Yvette Vickers might have seen one, as uh, Alison Hayes did, by the way, in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Now, um, the, um, the, 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 the up and the in and the around, these transcendences are all attempts to come to terms with life as it is. And whether you call it God or whether you call it nature, whether you call it the one, the absolute, uh, all the different words that even Christian theologians have used, you are in the proper place of saying, we need to reconcile ourselves before the, before the, before what is, let's just put it that way, whatever is reality. Kerouac said at the end, um, I realized that, that, that the sun, the moon that I was seeing that night and the hoot of the owl and the clear sky and the Carolina clouds. This is in Rocky Mountain, 1956. I realized that that's what is. That what is is what is, and I need to align myself with the fact of the reality of life. It's one of the. He said. Then he writes at the end, uh, "Truer words I've never writ. Truer words I've never writ." I think it's an astounding passage. It comes about uh, three quarters of the way into uh, some of the Dharma, uh, and I feel that very strongly. That what uh, I, I, I believe. He's on to something that when we don't acknowledge what is, when we cannot accept what is, when we don't 
realize that what is is what was, and what was is what is, and it's, to use a cliche, okay, then we are in tremendous conflict with the reality of our lives. And this is how I see Yvette Vickers. She actually said it, but she wouldn't have used the latter words. But um, all these were attempts and failed attempts, clearly failed attempts, as uh, so many millions of others are doing. And I'm right there. By the way, Kerouac always used to say, I don't have a leg to stand on. I mean, so don't think that I'm not uh, a victim of the same horizontal uh, uh, cravings for horizontal uh, uh, transcendence. As somebody looked at me directly in the eye once, uh, actually fairly recently to my chagrin, and said, you are oozing with forms. What he meant was, I'm just, I'm just always looking for a form, a movie, a book, a narrative, a person, a film director, a song, a, a, a memory, a, a, a some author to attach my need for horizontal transcendence, oozing with forms. I could have killed the guy, but Sadly, he's right. Uh, totally right. So I'm not saying here that I'm any authority, but I am saying that the um, that what is needed in this world and what uh, I so feel I could have wanted to knock on her door before she died. I couldn't have spoken to her if she was if she was drunk because you can't speak to a person in the physical addiction, but you can speak to them right after, possibly, and it has very little effect unless it's in, covered over with a tremendous amount of active love and a whole community of support. It's etc., etc., the grace of God through people. But I would have wanted to say that um, first you did something really important and something really meaningful. You may think it was awful uh, how you were used. I don't know. And I suppose you probably were used, used all the way around. She claims that she had affairs with Cary Grant and Lee Marvin. <laughs> I, I don't know. She probably was. I mean, uh, the temptation to use someone like that is very deep in the male heart uh, and bod. Uh, and yet um, that's what was. And, and and what um, the actual fact is that millions have been extremely um, delighted with aspects of your persona and would only be too happy to make a home for you in their hearts and no, in their homes, an uh, actual home for you. Um, you really attach a negative importance or perhaps the wrong kind of importance to your, uh, what I would consider, enormous success. And we're talking about Yvette Vickers here, who, who appeared in 1958 and 59, and it's now the year 2012. And um, uh, secondly, what is, even if it's awful, I mean, even if, if it's the life that you led, you know, you're this person or you're that person, the life that you led is the life that was, and the life that was is the life that is. It doesn't mean you have to stay there, but there is a reconciliation with the now, with the real, that very often people don't do. And I'll conclude this podcast with a word that the same person that said I was oozing with forms, I could have killed the guy, he uh, said uh, something I was very struck. He said, you know, you have to say, when you're looking at your whole life, you have to say uh, the following words, there is nothing to add. Now, when I first heard that, I, I immediately heard that as grace. I heard that as a loving and wonderful thing. There is nothing to add. In other words, the life that you've led, whatever mistakes, whatever ways you conceive it, however you see it, whether you see it as good, bad, and different, but you don't see it as indifferent, whether you see it as the wrong way, the false way, the right way, false starts, good starts, a little bit of both, a little bit of all, too much of one, too much of the other, but that's what it was. When you say that there's nothing to add, you you that's an immediate there's, there's nothing when you say there's nothing to add then the then the you that is is valuable 
when you realize that, that, that it's only the law or some form of criticism or judgment that would say there is something to add here, a different life, a change this, a change perspective, a, a go back and do it differently, a, a return, the time machine, uh, you know, go back to the Eloy, Rod Taylor, and redo your love for Yvette Mimia and make her your wife. Uh, take a letter, Maria, address it to my wife. Then send it to my lawyer. I'm going to start a new life. And then what are you doing tonight? Uh, Tony Orlando, let's give him enormous uh, credit. But nevertheless, uh, most of us didn't... uh, didn't didn't start the new life, uh, or it seems awfully late, and we have to say yes before God, before nature, before reality. This is the way it was, and uh, there's nothing to add. Uh, this is what Kerouac meant when he said, uh, "I saw that what is is what is." <laughs> so it sounds like a, a true and uh, appalling and lame cliche, but it is an absolutely convicted uh, character of, re- of, of 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 the of the way life is. This is what is, and I I see it now as a grace. I see it as the as the hand of what was the reality. I call it God, and therefore it is. Um, there's nothing to add. And the moment you say that about your life or yourself, your actual person, twenty. 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. There's nothing to add. Well, that means that you're something. You are someone. It's, I can't remember the ending of Incredible Shrinking Man. You know, I may be the size of a ant's leg at this point in the Incredible Shrinking Man. Grant Williams says, but as the camera pans out to the Andromeda galaxy, but in the eyes of God, I'm somebody. <laughs> I exist. I, he he. Nothing to add, and it's very triumphant. The movie is very powerful. It has a, it blends Christian imagery at the end that Jack Arnold himself put into words, and he said that's what he meant, Jack Arnold. And he also adds this extraordinarily cosmic sense of the worth of the real. And I think um, I not only would like to have said that to her, I would not only like to have said it to one of my other heroes, Joe Meek, but that's another story. Before he died, having become so unhinged in uh, conflict with his own life, but I would say that I would like to say it to all of us, uh, that if there is nothing to add, then there is really something, and then you are really someone. Thank you for listening to me, and uh, uh, I would like to say in my heart quietly a prayer for the repose of the soul of Yvette Vickers, who is found dead in her Los Angeles County house on the 27th of April. In the year of our Lord, 2011. Thank you very much and God bless.